John chapter number 3, John 3, 16, John chapter 3 and verse 16, and we have spent several weeks in John 3, 16, and we're going to bring our message from there again this morning, and uh, Lord willing, one more Sunday uh, next Sunday, as I have planned, uh, we'll look forward to next Sunday, but today, John 3, 16, and uh, when you find it, I want to just go ahead and let you know. We'll read it just together in just a moment. Uh, but uh, we are going to, after I pray, uh, I'm going to uh, get into the introduction. I'll make some opening comments, and then we're going to turn to several passages of Scripture. And uh, so I want you to turn with me uh, to these passages of Scripture. So I want you to keep your Bibles handy. And for, for the majority of the time this morning, we're going to be going from uh, scripture to Scripture, and uh, then at the end of the message, uh, I'll just mention four, I'll make four statements to close us out, and so if, if we take all the time we get close to that noon hour, and I still haven't given you my statements, I don't want you to be nervous about that, uh, because I'm literally just going to give them to you as a summation of what we read in the Scripture. Uh, the best commentary on John 3.16 is the Bible. Uh, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Uh, I'm not as interested in what man says about the Bible as I am that God says about His own book. And so uh, we're going to spend some time this morning uh, going through several passages of Scripture. And so uh, I think I'll take uh, the, the usual time this morning, but if for some reason I'm, I'm, I'm shorter because of the way we're doing this, we'll, we'll just be, be finished and go, but I won't, I won't go past 1.30, I promise you uh, that. And so uh, let's look at... John chapter 3 and verse 16, and we're going to read it together again this morning. And so let's begin reading. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a verse of Scripture. Uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, uh, the most well-known verse in the Bible. But as we've seen from week to week, uh, there's so much more in John 3.16 uh, than is just seen on the surface. And what does it mean when we hear that God loved the world? It means a whole lot. Uh, what does it mean when He gave His only begotten Son? There's a whole lot to that. And that word perish, to be lost forever, this verse of Scripture tells the world that no man has to be lost forever. Uh, we're told that we can have everlasting life. What does that mean? That means to be in a glorified body. That means to be in that celestial city. That means to be forgiven for all of eternity. That means to spend an eternity with our Lord and Savior where He is the light of that very city. There's a lot contained in John 3.16. And of course we know that God gave His Son to go to the cross of Calvary. We know that He gave His Son to pay our sin price bear our sins so that the price could be paid, so that we could be reconciled to God. And that act that Christ fulfilled, the death, the burial, and then His resurrection, that event, the gospel as we know it, is the very reason why you and I can say this morning that we've been redeemed, that we're saved, that we're forgiven. Certainly you and I know that when the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that He was giving Him to die, 
pay our sin debt. He would rise again. He would ascend back to heaven, having fulfilled what he was come to do. This morning, I want to preach on the redemption found in John 3.16. We say Jesus died on the cross, and he did. Praise the Lord for that. We talk of the gospel as a death, the burial, and the resurrection, and certainly that is true, and I thank God for a resurrected Savior. But that whole process uh, is our redemption. There's a lot that took place. We don't have time to cover it all this morning. There's a lot that took place when Christ fulfilled His role on the cross of Calvary. Uh, He made a way for you and I to be redeemed. And so this morning, I want to spend our time looking at that. Father, I pray that you would allow me once again to uh, bring the message that you've impressed upon me. Father, I, I simply ask this morning for the Bible to do what the Bible does. And as we read your word this morning, may the Spirit of God work in our hearts. May the Spirit of God show us and remind us of what you've done for us. And Father, once again, I pray that if there's one unsaved, may they realize this morning their need of salvation and realize the price has been paid. And Father, I pray that your will will be done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we, of course, find the creation of all things. And in the creation of all things, we find that God created man. He made him in his own image. God breathed life into man. Man was introduced into a perfect world. Man, when he was created, was a perfect being. But in Genesis chapter number 3, we find sin introduced, not just to man, but through man introduced into this world. That serpent, Satan, came and tempted Eve and Eve partook and Adam followed and then sin was introduced. And this was not just a sin that could be covered up as we know the story, Adam and Eve hid from God, but yet God knew what had taken place. And God came looking for them because they normally were in their place of fellowship. But because Adam and Eve sinned, now Adam and Eve must die because the payment of sin is death. This is a good reminder for you and I this morning that God does not look and has never looked at sin like we look at sin. Sin is an egregious offense. Big sin, little sin, it's all the same to God. Adam and Eve sin, therefore Adam and Eve must die because that is the payment for sin. But what did God do? God slayed a lamb and used the coverings for them to be covered, but there was a symbolism in the shedding of the blood as the forgiveness of sins. In Genesis chapter number 4, we find there are two, two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, bringing sacrifices to God. God had given specific instructions on what the sacrifices were to be. Abel, being obedient, brought the lamb as a sacrifice to God. The blood was shed and God accepted that sacrifice. Cain, however, brought forth his fruit. He was a tiller of the ground, and he was quite good at what he did, and he brought as a sacrifice to God the fruit of his own hand. And he offered it to God, and God rejected his sacrifice. 
And it's very clear why he rejected his sacrifice. He has specified, this is what will satisfy me as God. Abel certainly followed what God had told, and God accepted that blood sacrifice. But when Cain offered his best, and Cain offered his works, God rejected it. We know the story of how Cain killed Abel and, and what would follow from that, but there is a clear precedent from the first men, the first family that ever set foot on this earth, that because of sin, blood had to be shed. And it was blood that only God would accept as payment for the sacrifice. We go to the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God came to Abraham and told Abraham to offer his own son as a sacrifice. And we know the story of how Abraham packed up his son and packed up what was needed and, and took Abraham to the top of that mound, and, or he took Isaac to the top of that mound, and before Isaac got to the top, he had pretty much figured out that they didn't have a sacrifice with them. And Abraham, in his obedience, went through to sacrifice his own son. And in the, the moment before he took the life of his son, God intervened and provided a ram that was caught in the thicket. Thus we have the picture of God sending his son, and he would be that substitute for our sins. The children of Israel find themselves in bondage in Egypt. God raises up a leader in Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. We know the story. We're familiar with the story. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Moses, the Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And God sent plagues on the land and he would... Say, okay, I'll give you some conditional. I'll let some go, and you have to keep some back. And he would keep changing his mind until finally, God would send the death angel. And the death angel was to visit every home where the blood was not applied. And every home in Israel, every family was to get that spotless lamb, that lamb that had been set aside and observed and watched. And there was no blemish in it, it had no scarring. It was a perfect specimen of a lamb and they were to take the life of that lamb and they were to take the blood and they were to spread the blood on the doorpost of their home. Why do they do that? Because that was the only thing that would satisfy God. And That death angel came and he visited every home and the homes that did not have the blood applied, he took the life of the firstborn. But to the homes where the blood was applied, the death angel passed over. It did not matter who was on the other side of that door. Because everybody that was covered by the blood was safe from the chastisement of God. And those who, they may have locked their door, they may have barricaded their door, they may have taken every precaution that they could, but if the blood was not applied, the death angel took the life of the firstborn, the Old Testament priest. 
had the responsibility to make a sin sacrifice. And he would take the life of that spotless lamb, that lamb that was without blemish, and he would shed its blood. This, of course, was a picture of the Lamb of God. That's what's significant when John the Baptist, in his ministry, he had been preaching, you better be, be prepared for the, the coming Savior. And when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb. What was he saying? Here is the Son of God come to replace the, 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 the literal spotless Lamb that had blood has been shed for year and year and generation to generation. Here comes the Lamb of God who would shed His blood. The word redemption means to repurchase or to bring back. The purchase of God's favor by the sacrifice of Christ. The deliverance from the bondage of sin and the penalty of God's violated law by the atonement of Christ. Let me read that for you again. I want you to get it. It's to repurchase or bring back the purchase of God's favor by the sacrifice of Christ. Before man's sin, man had God's favor. He had made him in his own image. He had placed him in a perfect world. But because of sin, there's separation from God. But they could be purchased once again. They could be redeemed once again. It was the deliverance from the bondage of sin and the penalty of God's violated law by the atonement of Christ. So according to the word of God, according to that definition, there's only one way for man to be redeemed. It's not Cain's way. It's not the best we have to offer. It's not, hey, friend, do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Well, I'm doing the best I can. They didn't work for Cain. It'll not work for any man. The way to be redeemed is through the blood of Christ. That is God's plan. Turn with me to the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. We're going to begin reading in verse number 22. Romans chapter number 3. Beginning with verse number 22, follow your Bibles very carefully. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There it is again, that sin has separated us from God. Let's keep reading verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. There's that word redemption again. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we're justified freely by His grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. How? Through faith in His blood. That word justified means to be pardoned and absolved of guilt. So because of the redemption, uh, you and I have been completely 
pardon. We're to be absolved of guilt. That word propitiation, it simply means the appeasement of wrath. The wrath of God must be poured out on sin. The wrath of God must be poured out on sinful man. But by the grace of God, the gift that He gave mankind through the applied blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, His wrath is appeased. The picture in the Old Testament of that lamb that was slain, that picture of a coming Savior would appease the wrath of God. We find in Romans chapter number 3 that we are justified, we are pardoned, we're absolved of guilt. That's how I can say, even though I know I'm a sinful man, my sins have been washed away. My sins, I'll never have to give an account of my sins because I've been justified. The wrath of God has been appeased. Romans chapter number 5, just a page over. Romans chapter number 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Let me read verse 7 for you again. Let it sink in. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. You know, I'd die for my family. I love my family. I'd be a lot less inclined to a complete stranger, wouldn't you? Let's put that in context with verse number 8. But God committeth His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than being now justified, pardoned, absolved of guilt. How? By church membership? Oh, no, friend. By His blood. By baptism? Oh, no, friend. By His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. It is because of the shed blood of Christ. Colossians chapter number 1. Turn within your Bible to Colossians chapter number 1. I want you to stay with me this morning. I want you to listen very carefully. Listen on purpose. Colossians chapter number 1. And I'll begin reading in verse number 12. Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. <clears throat> for God so loved the world that He gave. Our Heavenly Father provided the means for our salvation. How? Through His Son. 
in whom we have redemption. Verse 14, we, ha- we are redeemed, we are bought back, we have uh, d- d- delivered from the bondage of sin and the penalty of violating God's wall- law. How? Through His blood. That's why there had to be an only begotten Son. That's why there's one way, because only, there's only one way that will satisfy the wrath of God. In verse 20, in having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, well, we thank God for the cross of Calvary. We thank God for shed blood. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. We're going to look at several places in the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter number 4. You'll recall, while you're turning there, you'll recall I mentioned a few moments ago that the responsibilities of the Old Testament priest. The Old Testament priest was to cleanse himself in such a way there would be no blemish found in him. He could not enter into the presence of God without going through certain rituals. He is the one who took the blood of the lamb and applied it to the mercy seat, applied it to where how God had said and where God and that blood would, would, would speak to God and God would accept that sacrifice. We find in Hebrews chapter number 4, and this is why the law could no longer, can, can no longer save, or couldn't, can't save. This is why the law, no matter how you try and keep it, will not save you. You can keep the Ten Commandments and die and go to hell. Now, I'm not saying don't keep the Ten Commandments, but that's not going to get you to heaven. We see in verse number 14 of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter number 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our own infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This passage of Scripture tells us that we have a high priest as Jesus Christ. And just as the, the, the Old Testament priests could never fully enter into the presence of God because they could not get into heaven. They could enter into a realm that others could not enter in, and certainly the presence of God was there. But we have a high priest that passed right into heaven who is also can be touched, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like as we were yet without sin. He was the God-man. He was the man who was tempted, but yet sinned not. Signifying he was worthy to be that high priest, to enter into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. Verse number 20. And insomuch as not without an oath he was made priest, Verse 21, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. 
But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The scripture here is making a very clear difference between the Old Testament priest and that lineage and how that man would live his life and he would die and there'd be another one that would come up. But yet this priest is different. He continueth ever. He hath an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Hebrews chapter number 9. And this is where I want you to pay close attention. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. Hebrews chapter number 9. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Meaning they made that sacrifice, But then look at verse number 7. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Once a year on the day of atonement. Let me give you a definition of that word atonement. Satisfaction of offense. Uh, the guilt is done away. So on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in the holy of holies where nobody else was ever allowed to be. He would take that blood sacrifice on that day of atonement, and that blood would be offered as a payment for the sins of the people. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 7, that he alone, the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, Notice what your Bible says in verse number 12, the the way that the high priest did it in that day of atonement, he would offer that blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. But there came another priest, Jesus Christ himself, 
as the high priest. He didn't offer the blood of bulls, the blood of calves, but yet acting as the high priest, he offered his own blood for the atonement of, sin, of, of, mankind, of sins of mankind. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. That word redemption, the purchase of God's favor. When Christ did it, it didn't have to be an annual thing. That's why when you get saved, I got saved when I was just almost five years of age. I didn't have to get saved again at six. I didn't have to get saved again at seven. I don't have to have an annual, let me, let me get saved again. Why? Because Christ saved once and for all. It is eternal redemption. I can't be lost again. And that's why this morning, don't let the devil tell you you can lose your salvation. If you put trust in Christ, the Bible says right here, it is eternal redemption. I don't need to get bought back again. I've already been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why those who believe in their religion, they count on their religion, they've got to go through a religious exercise after religious exercise after religious exercise. Even God's own people in the Old Testament, every year on that day of atonement, a blood sacrifice had to be, bought, had to be made. But when Jesus came, he, gave, he redeemed us eternally. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Remember that spotless lamb? He offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. This is what we're speaking about that day of atonement. What the Old Testament priests had to do, that first testament. They still had to have blood. Verse 19, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Don't miss this. Verse 24 tells us Christ has not entered into the old tabernacle that was made to offer that sacrifice. Christ as the high priest has entered into heaven to make, that, to, make, to, to make that sacrifice, to apply that blood. He entered the real thing, not that which was a picture of the real thing. The shedding of the blood of that spotless lamb was a picture of the New Testament that would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, as we've already established, is our high priest, when he took the blood that was shed to appease 
the wrath of a holy God. He took the blood himself, his own blood, as the high priest. He didn't have to go to an Old Testament tabernacle. He didn't have to go into the picture. He went into the presence of God himself, his heavenly father. He applied that blood in the very heaven that the Bible speaks of. Verse 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself because he didn't go to the earthly tabernacle. He went into the tabernacle not of this world. He didn't have to do it every year. He did it once. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Next to verse number 25 in the margin of my Bible. That verse that says, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. I have in the margin of my Bible, John 3.16. Next to verse number 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Gave him for what? Gave him to go to that cruel cross and to suffer and languish. To take upon him the sins of the world. Because there had to be a sacrifice that was worthy to be offered. But then when he said it is finished, he was going to die because that testator had to die. But yet he entered as the high priest into the presence of his heavenly father and applied that blood. We turn our Bibles to next to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. Just over a few pages, 1 Peter chapter number 1. First Peter chapter number 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times by, for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that in your faith and hope might be in God. This morning I can tell you that I'm a redeemed man. I can tell you I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I've been redeemed. I've been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have confidence that if I took my last breath today, I'd enter into the presence of my Savior. Not because I worked my way there, as verse 18 tells us. There's no silver or gold that can be offered. You can pray a thousand religious prayers. You can give everything that you own to, to, to the, to the quote-unquote church. But you're just following the traditions of your fathers. That won't get you redeemed. But with the precious blood of Christ.
Christ. 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. In verse number 7. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The Bible is telling us that there's one way to walk in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. How are we cleansed? By the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter number 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation. You remember that word propitiation? To appease the wrath. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only. But also for the sins of the whole world. You know, when I was a child, of course, I grew up in church. I grew up around spiritual things. I was glad that when I heard that, and I could understand that my parents were saved and Jesus died for them, that I also understood that He died for me too. Why? Because we're reminded in verse number 2 that He died for the sins of the whole world. The blood of the spotless lamb, the sacrifice was made, the wrath of God is appeased, but yet he's willing to redeem the whole world. 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. We're almost through with the scripture this morning. 1 John chapter number 4. I'll read verse 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Okay, think just for a moment. If you can think back several weeks. For God so loved the world. How do we know God loved the world? Because of what He gave. How do we even know love? Because of the love of the Father. He first loved us. So beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I'm certain that you've heard that phrase. You're seeing it now in Scripture. God is love. But what a wonderful truth. What a wonderful promise. God is love. But there's context in this passage of Scripture, and it's found in verse number 10. Herein... I'm sorry, in verse number 9, "...in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him." Verse 10, "...herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins." This world's definition of love is not love. Love is defined by God. God is love. That's not just a, a cute saying or a hashtag. That is, that is, that is the principle of God is love. Love originates from God. And how? Verse number 9 reminds us it was manifested. The love of God was manifested toward us. And the remainder of verse number 9 sounds a whole lot like John 3, 16, doesn't it? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. 
Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Aren't you glad love is not defined by our love towards God? But love is defined by God's love toward us. He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God for our sins. One more passage of Scripture, just a few pages over the book of Revelation. Chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1. Verse number 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. Who is this? It's our Redeemer. Here are the four statements this morning. Number one, redemption requires a perfect sacrifice. Redemption requires a perfect sacrifice. That lamb that was slain in the Old Testament, the blood that was shed, was a picture of the perfect one who would come. But redemption requires a perfect sacrifice. So therefore, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, all others are excluded. Because there's only one who is perfect. And it, and it doesn't, and the man formulates their religion. It formulates uh, their, their, their quote-unquote way to heaven, their, their forgiveness of their sins by what makes sense to them and what makes them feel good. But I must remind you, it's not man's wrath that must be appeased. It's God's wrath that must be appeased. And God has said, the Father has said, I have to send my Son because it is only Him and His perfection, only His sacrifice, that will appease my wrath. And thanks be to God that Jesus came to this earth and lived a sinless life and was that sin sacrifice. And then He took His own blood as the high priest and He could enter into the holy of holies, not the one fashioned by man, as a picture, he could enter into the presence of God and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Because redemption requires a perfect sacrifice. Friend, if, if I could find some way to this whole sinful world, absolve them of their sins, get them back to God, then I certainly would do it. But there is no man who can do that. It, it requires a perfect sacrifice. Statement number two, redemption requires the shedding of blood. The scripture is very clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the First Testament to the New Testament, that the shedding of blood is required. This is what is necessary. That's why man cannot work their way to heaven. The blood has to be shed and applied. And it is through faith, we saw it many times, we didn't have time to stop. It is through faith that shed blood is applied to our account. 
That's what we mean when we say washed in the blood of the Lamb. That blood is sprinkled on that mercy seat, and it speaks on my behalf. It is the payment for my sins. It has been applied. It requires the shedding of blood. You cannot take away the, the resurrection of Christ as the gospel, but you cannot take away the death of Christ as part of the gospel, the shedding of the blood. It is the shedding of the blood. Redemption requires the shedding of blood. Number three, redemption requires an acceptable application. What I mean by that is what I've already spoken about is that high priest. In the Old Testament, that blood was to be slain, caught in a bowl, and taken into the presence of God. Then God's wrath would be appeased towards the sins of His people. When Christ died for our sins, acting as the high priest, He took His own blood, he was the only one who could enter into heaven. He was the only one worthy to take his own blood as the sacrifice. See, redemption requires an acceptable application. No man can say, I forgive you of your sins, and you be forgiven because it's the, it's the perfect Son of God is the only one, is redemption requires an acceptable application. Number four, we've seen this several times, redemption is available for any man. Any man can be, every man is lost, the Bible tells us, but redemption is available for any man. Aren't you thankful for John 3.16? I know this morning's message was a little different. We just read a lot of Bible. But it was really the only way that I could put the focus on the shed blood of Christ in the way that I wanted to put the focus on the shed blood of Christ this morning. Because I want us to be reminded of the redemption. From the beginning of the world, man has needed to be redeemed. And it was either the picture of a coming Savior, but when Jesus came as that New Testament, He covered it all with His blood. That's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to believe that His blood was worthy. He was the sacrifice needed. I'll read one more passage of Scripture for you, and it's what I want, you to, I want to leave you with today. I mean, how many of you have been redeemed today? You're on your way to heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing about? To be reminded that it was the blood of Christ reminds us that we could not have saved ourselves. We're lost without Him. But as we dismiss in just a few moments, I want to leave you thinking about something. In Luke chapter number 21, beginning with verse 25 through 28, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth the stress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Sounds a lot about what's going on in our world today. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, the Bible doesn't say to 
get depressed. The Bible doesn't say to throw in the towel. The Bible doesn't say to run around screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The Bible doesn't say to wring your hands and, and, and fret. No, what does the Bible say when these things come to pass? Then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. When Jesus calls us home and the Son of God comes again, yes, He is the Holy One. Yes, He is the only begotten Son, but He is our redemption. How do I know He's coming for me because He's redeemed me? How do I know He's coming for me because He's my redemption? I'm not looking for a holy man to come come for me. I'm not looking for a, a system to come for me. I'm looking for my redemption. Friend, when the world turns the way the world's turning and it gets closer and closer to Christ's return, we're reminded to look up because who's coming? Our redemption. I can enter into the presence of God. The day will come when I will leave this life for the next. And I'll do so, not because I'm worthy, but because in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We need to be reminded of the redemption found in John 3.16. Only the shed blood of Christ. When we talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, what are we talking about? We're talking about the sacrifice of His blood. The perf- there had to be a perfect sacrifice. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I trust this morning, it's my desire this morning, that from this little bit unusual message, style of message, we're reminded of what we have in our salvation. We have forgiveness of sins. They're washed. It would be good for some of you to quit reminding God of what He doesn't remember. Because He covers our sin. He's washed our sin. And by the way, Christian, if God doesn't remember it, there's no sense in you bringing it up either. Uh, It's washed. Uh, We have eternal life. Life does not end when we take our last breath down here. Life's just beginning for the child of God. It's eternal life. But let's not fail to be reminded from time to time what it took for us to have that eternal life. It took the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins to be forgiven. Let's be thankful that we're redeemed. Father, I pray this morning